now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello and a very good morning. Welcome to a very special edition of Scotland's Talking. Part of the programme coming up in a few minutes, coming from the Scottish Parliament with a panel of guests and in front of an audience asking questions. The main one is, are you happy with the Scottish Government? Has it made you happier? Has it made you wealthier? So many questions to be asked. And of course, you can join in with your points as well. Remember, the number is 0333 2020 401. A very good morning and welcome to Scotland's Talking. A talking that is slightly different today because uh, this part of the programme and other parts throughout, right through uh, until midday, will be coming to you from the Scottish Parliament. Today is the 20th anniversary of the first time MSPs gathered at the Scottish Parliament. There's a room full of listeners who have applied to be here and we thank them very much indeed for coming along today as well and the opportunity to join in if you feel you want to join in then please do on the panel we have Henry McLeish who was First Minister from 2000 to 2001 we have Christine Graham current Deputy Presiding Officer and an MSP since day one Annie Wells representing a reasonably new generation of MSPs. I mean, who would have thought 20-odd years ago you would have had a Tory from Springburn who worked in Marks and Spencers? You know? <laughs> Amazing. And we have Mike Rumbles, part of the 1999 intake in the Labour-Lib coalition. Served for 12 years, then went and then came back again. So he's been gone and come back. Um, and also uh, our political correspondent, Alan Smith. Alan, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. I think... The, the best place to start then is to jump in our time machines to go back 20 years to the, 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 the start of the Scottish Parliament. I think, Henry, we'll start with you. You essentially helped to plan this alongside Donald Dewar. Can you take us back to the, the thinking behind why we needed this Parliament and if you think that it has lived up to expectations? Well, I think, you know, put it in context, I mean, throughout history, the kind of idea of a Scottish Parliament devolution has kind of ebbed and flowed regarding, you know, in relation to the political circumstances in Scotland. But I think there was a feeling, especially from the 80s, and especially, if I could say with kindness, uh, the period of Margaret Thatcher, there was a view in Scotland that things should be different. There was a view in Scotland that we needed some legislation to be enacted that wasn't being done at Westminster. There was a feeling in economic terms that Scotland was being neglected. So there was a whole bunch of factors. So the political parties, uh, all the political parties in their different ways were talking about, well, look, we need to have devolution. We attempted it in 79, um, and it failed at that point, although Scots voted for independence, uh, sorry, for uh, devolution. They, um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> an, an, an indication of things to come. Um, it didn't make it. And then, of course, in 97, there was two years in which I think changed the face of Scottish politics. I don't think it's changed the face of Westminster politics yet, but nevertheless. So when we met for the first time in the Parliament, it was a sense of pride, a sense of history, and just a sense of excitement that after all those years in talking about home rule from the 19th century, here was a Parliament 
in Scotland for Scott. And my memories are really the fact that we had an excellent speech uh, by Donald Dewar. The Queen was in attendance. We had a flyover from the Red Arrows and Concord. And there was just a great buzz. And, of course, when we started to sing, is therefore on his poverty, one of Burns' greatest um, songs and poems, you know, tears were flowing everywhere. So, all in all, it was a great start to what I think has been 20 years of significant success and achievement. You know, you talked about the different decisions to be taken from Westminster. I know we'll get into that as, as we go through the, 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 the programme. Um, that sense of pride then, do you still feel that sense of pride now? Well, even more so, because, I mean, to put, to put the pride in context, at Westminster, I was there for 14 years, we would get through maybe one, possibly two Scottish bills every year. But there was much needing to be done in Scotland that wasn't being done. So when we had our own parliament, we've had about 280 pieces of legislation. We've been able to tack th tackle things like land, land reform. We've been able to tackle things like um, education. Uh, we're leading Britain in terms of health. Um, and we're, I think we may talk later about free, free personal care. So we've done a lot. But the point is we haven't done a lot just for the sake of it. Scotland needed the reform that we've introduced and all parties, I think, have to be congratulated on moving on, on, moving on from Westminster, where really Scotland's interests were not given sufficient interest. Kristen, you were here since day one. You've yes. been an MSP to Deputy Presiding Officer. Can you, can you really sum up that journey for you and, and how you're feeling 20 years on? First of all, I didn't expect, it, honestly, to be elected. I was on the regional list and um, I'd gone to bed and gone to sleep and my son phones in, Mum, you're in the Scottish Parliament. I says, my goodness, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, and... Uh, I had been a teacher and a solicitor, so when I went in, I was 55, um, I had experience across other professions and other jobs as well as bringing up a family. And for many of us going in, we weren't politicians. Um, we've become them, we can't avoid it over 20 years, but I hope I kept some of that grounding that I had then. Uh, and we were a mixed bunch, and it was a bit like being at primary school for the first day. Maybe you think we were like primary kids, but, you know, everything smelt of varnish and paint, and we were new, and stuff came in, and we hadn't been politicians. The internet hadn't really taken off, so everything came in in the mail, and we had to find our way around it. But we did it together. Most of us had to do it together. Some had been councillors, one or two had been MPs, but most of us hadn't. So what I see now... Apart from there being, I think there's about 70 or 18 of us left over, as it were, perhaps that's not the expression from 20 years ago, we have a mixed bunch now. We have new people coming with people with medium experience, people with a lot of experience. And therefore, the Parliament has got much better at doing things uh, because there's that you know, freshness of new people like Annie, but people like myself who have a lot of expertise. I say this without any excuse of, you know, of chairing four committees. So you do learn stuff. And I have to say, I hardly agree with Henry. I love the bit about independence, Henry, thank you. <laughs> but uh, I have to agree with Henry. We've done a lot of good policy stuff. I mean, minimum unit pricing came in. And that was a battle and that was a good thing to do. I actually, when we did the, the ban on smoking in public places, I didn't think it would work. I, I really thought people would rebel and it worked. And that's been really good for people and it's made us better in many ways. And lots of things that we've done, legislation's important, but a lot of policy stuff has been done. You know, the concessionary bus pass has been maintained and extended to people who need someone to accompany them on buses. These are all what I call social democratic things. And perhaps best of all, and I came in on that system and Mike and Annie are both in it, is proportional representation. Your vote isn't wasted. 
you vote for your constituency member and then you vote on the list. And that way we get a balance in Parliament. And what it has exposed about Westminster on the first-past-the-post system is it doesn't work. They can't get together. They can't compromise. We've been round and round in circles about Brexit while they should be doing domestic business and all the other business that ought to be done. Whereas in this Parliament, and Mike will remember, they had to cooperate with Labour and Labour had to cooperate with them to get business through. We've had to cooperate with the Greens, sometimes with the Conservatives. The Small Business Bonus Scheme was with the Conservatives, sometimes with Labour. You have to do it. And that's not a bad thing. So you've got a culture in the Scottish Parliament. Notice the way the seats are. They're not confronting each other. They're in that semicircle. You've got a culture of having to cooperate in the chamber and in the committees. And I think, apart from all the other things, I think the way it was set up, Henry, it's not perfect, but that it has, for Scotland, meant that people's votes count, and that's terribly important, and that you have to cooperate with other parties in the main, and that's very important. And what's happening at Westminster has shown they don't know how to do it, we do. We'll get into a lot of what you said there about a lot of that, that legislation you brought up that has been passed throughout the 20 years. Annie, if you take yourself back 20 years, can you tell us what you were doing 20 years ago and if you ever thought that you would end up here? 20 years ago, I was 27. I had a six-year-old son and I was living in Nottingham at the time. <clears throat> did I ever think I'd be an MSP? Not a chance. Not even the day that I got elected did I think I was going to be an MSP. I did, I did watch the, the opening of the Scottish Parliament and I was like really chuffed because I thought, yeah, we do, we do need this. We do, I, I, I wanted it. And at that point as well, I was Labour. Um, so it was something that I absolutely wanted and I, I really um, was pleased that it got set up. But if you'd have said to me 20, 20 years ago, I'd be sitting here with a former First Minister and two um, well-respected politicians, I would be like, not a chance. Mike... Uh, in the introduction there, we, we said that you, you, you went, you came back. You, you must really enjoy this place, the fact you wanted to come back. <laughs> well, I, well, I tell you, like Henry was suggesting, it was very much 20 years ago, I remember absolutely distinctly, it was very much a shared endeavour from various political parties. You had a Labour, Liberal Democrat uh, administration. You had uh, the SNP. You had three individuals, one Green, uh, independent, etc. And, and it was very much a shame that everyone wanted to get things done, as Henry was saying, much needed to be done. And even, even in 2007, when the administration changed, the SNP cooperated largely with the Conservatives, and um, they got their legislation through that way. So there was very much a shared way of doing it. So, so when I came back, I have to say this, when I came back, at the, the two, having had a five-year gap, the good people of West Aberdeen, Jenkins Garden, decided to choose somebody else, but I, I, got my, I got a seat back again in 2016. When I came back, I have to say, I found a parliament, and perhaps we can do this at the very end, um, a much more divided place um, where the constitution seems to have just erupted un onto the scene and divided us, whereas in the first three parliaments that I sat in, it was very much a shared endeavour, and that has changed. So there we have the views of the panel, and they seem to be that, yes, the question was, has it been a success? Yes, it has been a success. What do you think? Uh, although you're sitting at home and part of this, as I say, uh, coming from the Holyrood, from the Scottish Parliament, we're still looking for your calls, your thoughts on anything that's being said uh, today by our experts or indeed from the audience, which we'll hear from in a moment. Uh, get in touch. Here's that number again, 033 2020 
0818 uh, Do you agree or disagree that it has been a success? As I say, a few more questions coming. And we we go to the floor now, actually. Regular contributor on the phone, Stephen Johnson, joined us at the Parliament and we gave him the honour of the first question from the floor. I totally disagree with the panel today. Firstly, the NHS is in crisis. Prison systems bursting at the seam. Police Scotland are struggling. As you go through every national thing we've got in Scotland, and I hear you saying we brought in to introduce the smoking ban. People in Scotland were conned into it. National price and a drink. You're having a laugh. But this parliament was built here in 1999 with Donald Dewar. It started off at £40 million. It ran over budget, something like £400 million to finish it. It's a bit like the Edinburgh Bypass, the Queen, the Ferry and the Commonwealth Games. There's millions and millions wasted. The vote does count, but money is getting wasted in the Scottish Parliament. It's costing over £100 million a year to run this, and you are still jumping in trains and junkets down to Westminster. Yes, the Scottish Parliament is. He's doing it because there's only certain things that we can d- discuss in the Scottish Parliament. Most of it can be done for the Army Reserves. A lot of matters to the LTV, take care of in Westminster. Another waste of millions and millions of pounds in the House of Lords. We are sending folk in this Scotland, as I speak, there's people going to food banks here. There's over 100,000 children in Scotland. Can they read or write? And you're telling me the Scottish Parliament's a success? I think he's going to have a laugh panel. And I think every MSP in Scotland should resign. And it should be a re-election of people. As far as I'm saying, they're all, I waste, I waste this space, this, this building. I just think the whole thing is, is a joke. I think if we come to the panel then and, and, and let... If anybody wants to come in and respond to Stephen, he obviously thinks the Parliament isn't doing its job. I think Stephen's absolutely right about the food banks. But you're aiming at the wrong target, Stephen, because um, the Trussell... No, just bear bear with me. Let me answer. No, that's the point. The Trussell Trust has made it plain that the huge increase in food banks is to do with the changes in benefits and universal credit, for which the Scottish Parliament has no power. Absolutely agree with you. But please, you know, you, you can complain about other parliament. things. I'm definitely, I'm definitely I'm targeting other things. You don't see prisoners going to food banks. And I heard he's on about independence and, and democracy. The Catalans tried that in Spain. It doesn't work. It doesn't matter the folk in Scotland, Ireland or Wales vote. This country will never get independence or anything. It's a wrong road to get around and it's costing millions of pounds. The First Minister of Butte House. Will you, will you just accept that the, the Trussell Trust view that it's the increase and the difficulties with universal credit that have led to that substantial increase in food banks? That's all I'm asking you to do because that's a fact. The rest we may disagree about, but Buildings that is wasted a in this country. Henry? One of the benefits of living in a democracy and having programmes like this is that you're absolutely right to express the concerns that you've got. And let me just say... Uh, if you want to raise the House of Lords, I'd be happy to abolish that tomorrow. Um, because that is more to do with democracy or the lack of it than it's to do with anything else. The other point, sir, I would say is this, that there are lots of responsibilities that still remain at Westminster, and these are largely the big economic powers. And you're absolutely right to say, in this century, in a new millennium, in 2019, we have the disgraceful situation that people have to go to food banks to feed their children in a world that's overflowing with resources, in the fifth largest country in in economic terms in the world. And here we are 
And you're right to express that because at the heart of our politics today is a situation where Westminster isn't coping, to be polite about it. Mm. Westminster is not fit for purpose. And we have a chance in Scotland, on the areas you've talked about, to make real progress. And the bigger political debate, of course, is the one which says, do we need to go further? Do we need more powers? And, of course, that debate that you've raised today will encompass all of these particular issues. And I'm with you on the fact that, you know, 20 years into the Scottish Parliament, it's coming of age. It's early days. Westminster has been on that same site for nearly a 1,000 years. But on the other hand, we now have a chance to look forward and for Scots to decide, do we like what we've seen? Do we want more of it? And that will be a huge debate for the country. It's starting now. Thank you, Henry. Also, I'd like to bring in um, down the, the front here, uh, Professor Christine Romery, uh, who just wants to give us a few points there. I just wanted to um, build on the, on the argument that several of you have made about this parliament being different. And it's partly different because there's a different voting system, so you get a different uh, mix of people in. Um, but I wanted to go back to 1999, because those of us who were at the point um, you know, looking at things like gender balance, we're very excited by the foundation of the Scottish Parliament. It was a new type of parliament, and we really wanted to see more women involved, um, particularly more women elected as MSPs. So I'd just like the panel to reflect on that, because you had initial success, and we've also seen some tailing off on gender representation in the parliament. And we've also had some wonderfully successful progressive policies that have helped women, but we've also not seen progress in other areas. So it was just to throw that back at you. Maybe we can start with Annie on this one. Annie, do you want to respond? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, we, the Scottish Conservatives, in 1999, we had three out of 18 women. Uh, we now have seven out of 31, so there's not been a, lot, a huge amount of progress with us. Um, but two years ago, I set up Women to Win Scotland for the Scottish Conservatives to encourage more women into politics. We do mentoring schemes, we, we, we look at things like that, and how just actually talking to women and getting them to, to take that step forward, because I think that's always the hard thing. And it doesn't help, social media doesn't help, and Christine and I were just talking about this earlier. Um, I have been the target of abuse and, and threats on social media. That doesn't help, so we need to make it a more, a better environment to, to encourage women into. And I don't think, I mean, you spoke about legislation like gender representation and public boards. We didn't back it. I didn't support it personally either. Because for me, it's about having that open and honest discussion about how do we get women involved? What is the thing that would make you put your face on a leaflet to put through someone's door? And that's the thing. We've got lots of great women who are activists and campaigners. We need to just help them to take that further step. And it is about childcare and, and different things. And this parliament has got a great... It's, it's great because it doesn't sit to midnight, two in the morning. Mm. We have a, a good sort of a work-life balance in this parliament. But for me, it's just about having that conversation with women and saying, you can do it. And you know yourself, a woman will say, if there's a job application there, I can do half of the things on it or I can't apply. Whereas a chap will say, I, I can do half the things, so I will apply. It's, it's confidence building. Um, and I think that's the thing we need to do. And I'm working really hard to make sure that we've got more... Um, Conservative women coming forward in the next campaign. Maybe, maybe I could bring Mike into this. I know the the Liberal Democrats have perhaps maybe maybe had a particular problem. You don't have any female MSPs at the moment, so the importance then of having more female MSPs, maybe a bit on that, and and, and what you think can be done 
so that Scotland is uh, the, the Scottish Parliament is more representative of its of its population. Well, it is up to the political parties to make strides in this direction. And if I can give an example, um, we may not have at the moment uh, any uh, female MSPs, but there are only five of us. Uh, two out of the four MPs we have in Scotland are women. Two are men. Um, if we get a Euro MP, uh, MEP elected um, soon, then that will be a woman, that who is at the top of our list. And in the, for the next Scottish parliamentary election, we have already decided of the 10 seats that we are hoping to win, five of them are women and are candidates and five of them will be men. And um, so I don't see much more, more we can do in that regard. And uh, we've managed, I, I think it's, it's about encouraging people to come forward. It's about knowing that there is a real issue uh, that we, if we get diversity amongst our um, parliamentarians, then we're best, we, we can look at issues uh, in, in the round and obviously get uh, different perspectives on things. So it has to be a good thing. Henry, if I could bring you in this. Just very briefly, I mean, I, I think one of the principles we tried to establish with the Constitutional Steering Group, which, which I chaired, was to make it family-friendly. Now, two words that maybe have, doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, but compared with Westminster, where I was in the lobbies one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, that was a step forward. I think there was a great push, and the Parliament was very successful in attracting uh, more women in. Um, I think that has shaded a bit, but let me say, people on social media, some of them, a small group, yeah. are helping to destroy our democracy, and they're against women, against those with disabilities, they're involved in race, homophobia, xenophobia, these things are not wanted in a modern Scotland. And my advice to them is just get out of it, pass your day in a different way, because quite frankly that's undermining all of our attempts to have the broadest-based parliament in Scotland. We want to do it, but these people, and they're not big in numbers, but they're very significant in the damage they're doing to our, to our democracy. Well, well we, we, we have a gender balanced cabinet, but I'm out of step with the government on this. I'm not government. Um, I don't actually believe in compulsory gender balance. Um, I want to see anybody, whether it be man or woman or whatever, there on their merits. And the reason why, I think one of the reasons why so many women, not just the childcare or the creche or other things, is confidence. I get quite depressed when I go to speak in secondary schools and I get political questions and it's the boys that put their hands up. And if you ask, um, you know, we've done the girls night to ask a question, they don't do it. And I think it's to do with if it's lack of confidence or whatever. It's not lack of interest because if you're in a small group with them, you get questions. So I know that I was mentored into politics, if that's the word. Uh, I didn't want to be a politician. Um, it was Margaret Ewing, late Margaret Ewing, says, Christine, why don't you go into politics? Oh, I don't want to be a politician. There are ways to space. Some people agree there still are. <laughs> but um, I, she, she, was, she, she actually gave me the... I didn't have the confidence, it seems odd now, to get up and speak and to speak from a platform and also to be challenged. You know, I just didn't feel that. And only through another woman helping me to get over that did I sort of get confidence. And I think so there's a role for the women in the parliament and in other institutions to give confidence to others. Yes, there are practical things to be done to assist women or anybody else who finds it difficult, but a huge bit is to believe that you, you know, you've got something to say about it from your life's experience, and we've all got that, and that's the important thing to put into politics, you know, to have things happened in your life so you know the consequences of policies and legislation to everyday lives. It's terribly important. So it is about all those other things. So no matter how many crashes you have or, um, you know, balance 
ones think that if you've got women outside or anybody with disabilities or anything like that who feels lacking in confidence, that's a big bit to do with not going into politics. I'd certainly like to see a bigger range of people in the Scottish Parliament. Thank you very much indeed. At that point, we'll take a quick break. And we're back to the Scottish Parliament in a few moments. First of all, let's go on the phone lines and say good morning. John, how are you? Good morning, Ali. Yourself, mate? Good, thank you. What do you think of uh, what you've been hearing from our panel so far, then? Well, I'm quite shocked and stunned. It's the first time, I think, ever that I've agreed with Stephen. And what he had to say, he made a lot of sense. And that's the thing that I want to talk about, Ali, myself today. If we were genuine, as far as I'm concerned, with a Scottish Parliament, what should have happened was we should have picked one of the beautiful buildings we have in Glasgow, one in Edinburgh, converted them at a very, very small cost in comparison and split the Parliament between the two major sides. Instead of doing that, they built that monstrosity that they've got in Edinburgh, which cost billions of pounds and is still costing money and as Stephen so rightly said it's billions every day and yet we still have to go and bow down to Westminster so uh, I thought it was quite a liberty that they, they decided to honour themselves with a gold medal when they finished building it really what they should have done was left it half built as a monument to the stupidity of the Scottish people Alan it really so, is a disgrace. You're, you're saying we, we still have to doth our caps to Westminster then. If if um, Are you then looking for a, another vote on independence? And if so, would you vote for yes to, to put all powers to, to Holyrood and to, for Scotland to be independent? Well, Ali, first of all, I've got to say that as far as I'm concerned, Westminster broke the law when they didn't leave. Europe in the 27th of last month. That's what the country voted for, and yet we never got it. So obviously it doesn't really matter what we vote for. It's what Westminster want, and what they want, they get. We never said we wanted this rule, we wanted that rule, we wanted the next rule. We said we wanted to leave Europe, we haven't done it, because it didn't suit them. So that tells me that democracy is out the window, and the best thing we could do is shut Parliament and the House of Lords and start again. We are modern government, a government that, that does things the way for today, not yesterday. And yes, I would have independence. And yes, I think we should have a Scottish Parliament that vote on Scotland and what happens in Scotland. OK, John, thank you very much indeed for your views. Of course, if you hear anything coming from Holyrood uh, over the next wee while that you would like to comment on, then please do. Treble 3 2020 401. And uh, we heard there John saying it's not often he agrees with Stephen. I've had a couple of comments on um, our uh, Twitter and also on Facebook here as well and, and uh Tweets saying that the one says go Stephen and the other one says well I'm agreeing with Stephen so there you are uh, two or three people agreeing with him but if you have just joined us welcome to the programme it's the 20th anniversary of the first time MSPs gathered at the Scottish Parliament today and it was the first Scottish Parliament session in 292 years so we thought we'd get back 
to Parliament and we do part of the programme from there. On our panel, we have Henry McLeish, First Minister from 2000 to 2001, Christine Graham, current Deputy Presiding Officer and an MSP since day one, Annie Wells, representing a new generation of MSPs, a Tory from Springburn, and Mike Rumbles from the Lib Dems. And we got back into this section with really, um, we decided to have a look at healthcare, and Alan Smith, our political editor, takes up uh, the question from here. Henry, free personal care was something that you, that you brought in, so let's start there. Um, the difference that's made and why it was needed. Yeah. Well, I suppose you raised the important uh, legislation that's gone through, and not only was that a benefit to Scotland, but these were leading the world. I mean, we were the fourth country in the world out of 209 to ban smoking in public places. So it's not... It's good to have good policy, but it's also good to have your country uh, leading the world. I think the second point is, and it's true to date, that um, in England, um, and to a certain extent in Wales, a lot of the national part of the health service is disappearing. And my concern is that in Scotland we've managed to retain it as a public service. We haven't seen the same process of privatisation. We haven't seen that. So I think we've secured that for Scotland. But the third point on the free personal care, and politics is often about emotion, but when I was in the Parliament, I was very keen to see free personal care or pers- you know, free at the point of need because there were people at home getting a service done and it cost them, and there were people in hospital getting a service done and it was free at the point of need. There was an inherent illogicality about that, which I wanted to start, And the personal side of the story is that legislation went through and one of the first recipients of that was my father, who had early dementia. And today, you see a situation where free personal care, along with other things, hasn't solved any particular problem. But it's just the idea of dignity at home, help for those who possibly can't afford it, and they should be able to hold their head up high through any terminal illness that they have, And so to me, you're a parliament with compassion, you're a parliament with an eye to what was right, and you had also a parliament that wanted to lead not only the UK but other countries. So that, I think, was the hallmark of where we started. And to be fair to all the parliamentarians here, that is a process which has been continued and I very, very much welcome. Could could I I just come in at that point as well? And I well remember in the first parliament, it was a struggle for Henry and and his party who, who were in coalition with ours, and there wasn't a majority, I don't think, in Henry's was struggling. But I well remember Henry coming up to me and saying, Mike, we're going to do this. Uh, and I give absolute credit to, he- to Henry. He did it, and he pushed that through and got, got support with his own party, and together the Liberal Democrats, we came together on that. Uh, that was one point that actually I felt could have split the coalition, but it was done for the right reasons, and it's very largely down to, to Henry. Something else that was done during the, the coalition was the, the, the smoking ban in public places. Um, the difference do you think that's made? Was it needed? I mean, Christine, you, you thought there was going to be riots, you said, over this. I didn't say riots, but, I didn't, but can I go back to free personal care? Because that was the thing I absolutely supported when, when we came in. Ailey did bow and build and then found the government, was, the government was doing it. Because we're talking about people who are getting charged for opening a tin of beans and heating it up so they could have a meal or, you know, doing up a zipper and something. I mean, it was just dreadful. 
Um, and Henry's quite right. It was free in hospitals, but they were being charged at home. So I thought that was... I mean, I think the Parliament could do more in social democracy. That's just my point. Um, the smoking ban was the same. I thought we'd need to put rooms to the side to allow people to have a, a smoke. You know, they wouldn't be... Because I was once a smoker. It's tough um, um, to do that and, and so on. But it worked, and it was self it's self-disciplining. And actually, the, the strange thing about it is you see people outside now, a social club outside, as they all have a cigarette mm. outside the pub or whatever, um, uh, chatting away. But it has reduced the amount of smoking. And picking up on costs to the NHS, minimum unit pricing and the ban on smoking has reduced by millions the cost to the NHS of the later effects of that. I mean, you know, you, it's called spend to save, and sometimes it takes a decade for things to work through the system, and so the NHS is not dealing with that. But Henry's quite right. Our NHS is hugely in public hands, not privatised as it is down south, and we must keep it that way. I mean, it is... One of the things I remember from my childhood is that um, from an ordinary working-class family, there was no problem about getting taken into the hospital to get an appendix out, to get treated. You didn't. My mother's generation was different. She had to pay to give birth to me. She had to pay for a doctor to come. Maybe some folk think she shouldn't have bothered, but there you are. Uh, but, um, you know, we take it for granted. And, and it's one of the great things of Scotland, and I hope England goes back to this position, that the NHS is ours, it's in public ownership, because it should always be free at the point of need. And briefly, that's why we should have no prescription charges. We had a case in front of my committee where somebody had died because the doctor had prescribed four items for prescription. This was before they were banned. They took two because they couldn't afford the other two, and they died. We take for granted that we don't have this in Scotland. In England, some people are still paying £8.60 for a prescription. So that's one of the achievements amongst the many. And this isn't party political. This is across all the parties. We should be proud of that. Just before we take a, a couple of more questions, Annie, where do you stand on all of that? I know you might have a different viewpoint, particularly when it comes to prescription charges. Um, well... Personally, um, I think that we should have free prescriptions, and I think that uh, that's the right way to go because, as Christine says, you can actually um, say if you've got a long-term health condition, should you get... And we actually did campaign on taking away the, pres the free prescriptions, but we have now we now support the free prescriptions. But to go back to the sort of a, um, personal care, I mean, just this year as well, we've seen personal care now going to under 65s after the... Think a magnificent campaign by Amanda Capel um, and my colleague Miles Briggs. So we've, we've seen that, and I think it's really important. We have to look after those who are most vulnerable in our society. And just to go back to Christy, when the smoking ban came in, of I was I, I was a smoker. I have been I had been for many years. I was like, what? You need to get in the radio, have a cigarette. It was it was one of those things. But I remember being out the night that it, that it happened. I remember being a, in a pub in Glasgow and going outside, and actually I made so many new friends and it, it was like that sort of a well, there's a different wee group and people actually would come out to talk to you because they thought it was something well, they're, they're, I'm, I'm going out so I, I think that was a thing and I, it did sort of a, probably encourage me to try and stop a couple of times but I have now so um, yes I have since July last door, year that's so, good <laughs> um, but yeah and I, I do think the NHS is so important there is so much more we can do with the NHS we, we still see 
um, people waiting too long to get the treatment that they need. We see mental health come up time and time again. So there is so much more we need to do, and I would like to do that on a cross-party basis throughout the, the Scottish Parliament. There's no doubt that on a Sunday morning uh, there are many calls about NHS to to Scotland's talking. It's only a matter of weeks ago that we had the Health Secretary, Jean Freeman, on the show answering calls direct from the listeners. But um, what about our audience here? Anybody have a, a point they would like to make, that lady there, um, on, on the health service? And Hi, it's general? about Hi. mental health services. It's Mental Health Awareness Week next week. And I know the Scottish Parliament has given £27 million extra towards it. I just want to know what the money's been spent on because I'm not seeing it. You have to wait nearly a year to see a psychologist. Local charities, their council budget has been cut. You know, there's not enough beds, so you're getting turned away. You go in for assessment, they can't keep you. You get sent home or you end up in custody. Lady up in that corner there and then the gentleman next. We'll just take the three together to give everybody a chance to get in. Hi. Um, I have concerns about who's actually in charge of our NHS. Is it the health secretary or is it actually the health boards? Because there seems to be quite a wee bit of confusion over that. Um, I, I was involved in campaigning here and that the, the, the Scottish Parliament is a great thing because we can come here. Um, we were a, a lot of disabled people from um, the NHS Centre for Integrative Care and there was other um, health um, people that came along with us to the Scottish Parliament back in 2004. And we were able to um, come here where we would never have been able to get down to Westminster. We were able to speak to our MSPs, we lobbied and we lobbied successfully. But just recently, um, things have not taken that turn and services were closed. And that was despite a vote in the Parliament where there was a motion by Anna Sarwar and it was asking for the Health Minister to, to make these decisions rather than the Health Board. And the, the government was def defeated. The, MS, the, the SNP gov um, all um, abstained and they were defeated 64 um, votes to 62. Yet, so I, I, if I thought democracy was in action there, then th that vote should have been respected by everyone in the parliament and it wasn't. So that's a, that's a great concern of mine. But I do think the petition process is very good. Mm. I think it's helped myself to bring a petition to parliament. I think it's helped others to get petitions successfully received. We now have a, a residential pain service in Garton Naval Hospital. Um, they, they also, we get free calls to on mobiles to 111 service that was brought by Cal Caroline Monkford and supported by the Poverty Alliance. So there are good things about the Parliament, but there's certainly other things that they could definitely step up. OK, can I just take a quick point from the gentleman next to you? There we are. I'm Paul from Ibrooks in the south side of Glasgow, and I'd just like to express a point to the learned colleagues out the front. This uh, free personal care uh, charter, if you like, I think that should be disbanded because we've got no means testing in place and we have this ridiculous situation where we have very rich elderly or infirm people living in huge houses, rattling around only one person, perhaps in a five-bedroom, and that should be sold and people should then be able to get onto the housing market, get it going again. That also has a knock-on effect. Because we don't have uh, free housing stock, we have places such as Govan Hill on the south side of Glasgow, which is a constituency of the First Minister, which, quite frankly, is slums and children in there are being reported to have rickets. What would the panel say 
to that. Instead of wasting money on rich people getting free personal care, means test it, get them paying, and we can resolve real problems. I think there's a misunderstanding about what free personal care is. Free personal care is about help with your personal needs, uh, washing, dressing, that sort of thing. And I'm sure our participant wouldn't want to say we shouldn't be pay- people shouldn't have that assistance. It is, we don't, in Scotland, pay for housing costs or hotel costs when people go into hospital. So the point that the gentleman is making... I think it's about a misunderstanding. It's personal care about how how an individual receives that help from a national health service, and that should be free. Mike Rundle's there. Now, if you'd like to make a comment on anything you've been hearing so far, then uh, do give us a call. 0333 2020 You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. 20 years ago, it was the first time MSPs had gathered at the Scottish Parliament and uh, on this week's Scotland's Talking, we thought we would visit the Parliament and ask some questions. But of course, you can make your points as well. The phone lines are there. 033-2020-401. You can also text a few texts coming in there. Uh, text 61054. Start your message with Ali. And uh, here's a text that says, um, uh, the programme from Holyrood, at the end of the day, it's not who is right, but what is right and what is done for the right reasons? Thank you for that. Uh, Brian's on the line. Hello, Brian. Good morning to you. Morning. Morning. Your point, please. I definitely think um, the Scottish Parliament's sort of slightly left-leaning tendencies have charted the correct course for us as the world seems to be lurching further to the right, even down south. Um, we seem to be charting the way with more progressive policies, a more encompassing outlook than perhaps the rest of the world currently are, 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 are going down the road of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely think that having our own parliament has been an absolute boon, and I think more powers should be extended to it. What would you like to see happen then? More powers should be extended. What would you like to see being done? Well, essentially full control and dependence. Right. That, that's that's it, in a nutshell. The you, only way this country can ensure it looks after itself is to run its own affairs. OK. And if you were First Minister, what would you do tomorrow? <laughs> Grant myself a season ticket to the Shish Mahal. Um, <laughs> and, and then from that point onwards, let's start looking to try and make Scotland a more vibrant, healthier place to live that helps everyone. Mm-hmm. But you think it's going the right way at the moment? <clears throat> I, I think it's attempting to. I do think that it's being held back by the other parties who don't really have Scotland's interests at heart. Well, their, their interests, I see, uh, or as far as I can tell, are really to try and get a summer cabinet position um, in the government of the day, or at least um, in the shadow cabinet. I think that's their aspirations, not really... Uh, Scotland's just a stepping stone All right. on the way to Westminster for them. OK, interesting points. Thank you very much indeed, Brian. Uh, once again, if you would like to make a point, 033 
0818-104-0101. I'm just looking at uh, another one coming in here on social media. It's good to hear the Scottish Parliament is keen to show a balance and is encouraging more women to take up posts. However, capability and competence are more important than gender. A useless woman is just as useless as a useless man. And that comes from Liz. Uh, Liz, totally agree with you. Um, I don't agree with this um, situation. My view only, that we should have equal amounts of males and females and boards of directors. It should be the right person for the right job. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Thank you very much indeed and welcome back. If you have just joined us at home, once again, we welcome your calls on any of the subjects we're talking about today. Uh, We are doing this part of the programme from the Scottish Parliament. If you'd like to take part by phone, uh, if you have a point you would like to make to anything that is being said, then 0333-2020-401 is the number. Question now, has the Scottish Parliament made Scotland wealthier? Uh, Well, land reform, helping rural areas. Uh, Joining us is Ian Hepburn, chair of the community which bought the Isle of Ulva. Um, Ian, has it made us wealthier, do you think? I think that's um, a very difficult question to answer because there's different ways of being wealthy. If you're talking about the classical measure of wealth in terms of financial wealth, wealth, then I'm not sure that it's made a great deal of difference. If you're talking about helping communities to be more self-assured, to be more resilient, to be more at one with themselves and to redevelop, then I'm sure that land reform has made massive differences. Um, There is obviously an element of increasing financial wealth in a lot of areas that have become community-owned, and all the research shows that, um, because there's a tendency to reinvest within the organisation, within the particular area, rather than for the funds that are generated to move away from the area. So it has made a difference, but I think the biggest single difference is in terms of quality of life and people's future expectations, and in particular in terms of moving forward, in in terms of repopulation and re-establishment of areas where we've seen drifts from many, many parts of Scotland, significant drifts. I mean, Argyll and Butte is looking to lose something like 30% of its population in the next 30 years. That's quite dramatic. So anything that can be done to reverse that process has got to be a big benefit. And, for example, with Ulva, our main drive there is to take the population, which is now standing at five, including two children, um, up to where it was in the 1990s of about 30, over the next four or five years, and to reintroduce livable houses, and that's quite literally true, you know, houses that are fit to live in, and to reinvigorate the whole of the northwest of Mull, because it is quite a large area, it's not just the Isle of Ulver, Ulver's integral to a much larger area on Mull, and there's a potential to create significant employment, significant repopulation in that area, without any uh, further investment from institutes and organisations that are specifically for community, just taking advantage of the grants and the availability of finance that anybody can access. Is there anyone in the audience who would uh, like to put a point there? I can see uh, Murray's um, throwing hands up there. Uh, Good to welcome Murray to the programme as well. Dr Murray Leith, University of West of Scotland, uh, previously on the programme many times. Thank you. Um, 
Well, I think important to, we're talking about a wealthier Scotland and a healthier Scotland and there's no doubt that we have made moves and the Scottish Parliament has certainly been able to focus on those greatly. And as Henry McLeish pointed out, without a Scottish Parliament, we would not have got that concentration of, uh, uh, and, and in-depth analysis. Such things as the Land Reform Acts have been very effective. The removal of feudal tenure, uh, for instance, you know, has affected every homeowner in Scotland. But at the same time, there's a, a traditional measures that we use as, as social scientists for measuring income and wealth equality across Scotland. And to be honest, that hasn't changed in 20 years. We still have the same levels of inequality amongst those who have the wealth and those who do not that we had 20 years ago. Right. I noticed uh, Kirsty was sitting shaking her head there. Um, you can't see when you're sitting at home somebody shaking their head. So come on, what are you shaking your head at, Kirsty? Um, I'm shaking my head a little bit at this um, idea that, you know, we've had 20 years of Scotland-focused legislation and a Scottish-focused parliament. Um, and in some respects, there has been some really good outcomes. But just looking at the health inequalities and the wealth inequalities, which actually I think are intrinsically linked in Scotland, we did see a decrease in child poverty in the first 10 years. We saw quite a dramatic decrease in both child poverty and absolute poverty in Scotland. Um, now we see those widening again. And that, to me, throws out lots of questions about, well, do you have the capacity? Because these are reflecting things that are happening in the whole of the UK um, and things that are happening due to kind of bigger, wider economic inequalities. Um, there are things that could have been done to mitigate against that, which are much more radical than the Scottish Parliament has chosen to do. Um, things like, you know, you, you could have gone for lots of different things that around universal basic income and things like that, which would have tackle poverty in a very different way um, so it's about kind of like if you look at it over the 20 years of its history where it actually yes a lot of powers have been reserved to Westminster but they've also had quite significant powers at the Scottish Parliament level and the reason I was shaking my head earlier in the in the health stuff is that Yes, there is not as much privatisation in health, but there is still quite a significant amount of privatisation in health. It's a myth that it's not happening in Scotland. Certainly we've seen privatisation in social care, which has a huge impact on um, what's happening in the health service. We also have not seen progress on things like joint working between health and social care in the same way as we have seen. I mean, I came up to Scotland in 2008 and they were 10 years behind what was happening in England. And there seems to be this, like oh, well, we're doing things so much better in Scotland, but in some areas you're not, and you do actually have the power to do things, and it hasn't been done. So it's just an interesting thing about, you know, over the whole of the 20-year course, with big things to tackle, like health inequalities, poverty and inequality, which are not the same thing, there's been some progress in some areas and not in others, and it's just asking the panel to reflect on that, really. Who would like to kick us well, off with this one? Christine? I, have, I couldn't agree more. 20 years, I'd like to have seen an absolute radical change as a socialist. But the main economic levers, and please don't groan about this, the main economic levers, taxation, benefits, how we grow the economy, the main powers remain with Westminster. We still have an allocated budget. Yes, we're raising some income tax. But until we are able to do this, whether it's what I want, which is independence, or just stronger devolution, until we have that, we really can't turn that around. Can I, can I, I wanted also, just before I go on, to mention integrated joint boards, because we are trying to align 
health and social care. So there's no two pots of money. And there's a review happening of that now. I was, I was with my health board yesterday, who are now reporting to the Scottish Government to see how that's going. It's extremely difficult. But that's an effort up in Scotland, not happening down south, to try and make sure one pot of money, the person centred at it, the health board can then see whether it's to be allocated to housing, to fix care, and to give them care, give them steps for their house, what kind of care they need, instead of the two pots going. It's very difficult to do. People out there who are delivering these things at the management level are not easy to deal with. You give me an awful face. That no, it's smiling now. Just want to let just, you know she's smiling just now. Bring Mike uh, but into you know this. we are I, trying to do I, that. Can I'll I just, just bring Mike into this. I, just, uh, I couldn't disagree more with Christine <laughs> about this because when I get one thing straight, Parliament gives the uh, le legislative background to enable the Scottish Government to take action. It's the Scottish Government that needs to, that runs Scotland. And we do have all the economic powers we need. To give you just, if I could, if, if I were First Minister, and there's one thing I would like to do, and we have the power to do it, everybody in Scotland deserves a decent home to live in. We have all the powers that we need to make sure that everybody has a decent home to live in, and we don't have that. Did you put that's that forward would, in the budget? That's Did what you I put would, that proposal look, forward? I don't think so. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make a positive suggestion, which I wish all the parties could coalesce around. I don't want to be partisan on this. Oh. I'm, making the point, I'm making the point that it isn't the Parliament that decides this. It's the government that runs the country on the basis of the laws that we allow them to use it through the Parliament. That's why somebody said earlier on, government loses a vote in Parliament. Why? What's about democracy? Actually, the Parliament doesn't have the power in these votes. The, the Parliament only has the power in legislation or a vote of no confidence. It's the government that, in my view, is a little timid. Henry, I know you want to come on this. Uh, yeah, I mean, just to say, it's, it's good to be sitting in Falkland above the, above, <laughs> above the, tri the tribal fray that uh, we hear. But uh, no, I, I think the points about uh, inequality are really important yeah. because all the political parties talk about being progressive and tackling inequality. But this is a huge subject. And one of the problems is that, I think has been pointed out, a lot of the economic levers are in London. But the Parliament does have new powers, and the extent to which they want to use them will be the burning issue over the next two years before the election. But the other point is, if you do look at inequality, let's remember that, and we tend to forget this, we're still suffering from austerity. Yes. Austerity is killing off a useful flow of resources to local government, the health service, other public services. And I think in the melee of Brexit, Brexit's devoured everybody and everybody's thinking. But we are living in austerity times. And quite frankly, that's the major problem. In the US, whether you think he's crazy or not, Trump is doing a lot by spending money he doesn't have. We're in a situation in Westminster where the government cares not to be injecting new spend. And quite frankly, if we don't watch in Scotland, because it's a check we get from London, let's remember, if we don't watch, local government, the health service, will be even in a worse condition over the next few years. But the point that I want to make about we have a confident Scotland, yes, more confident. A healthier Scotland, yes, we do. If you're talking about a wealthier Scotland, I think there's more of a discussion on that. And one of the things that strikes me is that if you take, for example, renewable energy, we're ahead of the world on that. There's some good spots. But unless you have some control over your investment, 
through public investment, then you're not going to be progressing. And the other point I would say is, we're talking about the private sector economy. We have to work with the private sector. We have to do the joint investments that, that, that we require. And we shouldn't have the battle between its private and public. Scotland has a chance to be like the Scandinavians, talk about social partnership, getting everybody involved. So there's lots that we can do, and I don't think it's right always to blame the UK, but in terms of the big economic issues, Scotland has no real or significant power. It can change on the margins, but if we want to tackle food banks and inequality, mm -hmm. poverty and housing, why is it where the UK is the fifth wealthiest economy in the world and people can't get a decent house? This is not about lack of money. It's about lack of resources and priorities. And the priorities of a progressive country are to provide housing. That's not the priority of this government at Westminster. So we've got challenges in Scotland. I think we'll all the parties have got to face up to that. We'll give the final word on this section to Annie. Yeah, thank, thanks a lot, um, Alan. Um, what I would say is we're, we're here talking about devolution and we've had three Scotland Acts um, since 1998 up to 2016. We are giving more powers to the Scottish Parliament. It's, it's probably the most powerful devolved Parliament in, in the world. Yet we've seen this government hand back welfare powers back to Westminster. Oh. We've seen them do a U-turn on the airport departure tax. Oh. And we've seen them postpone the power to assign VAT. So we're talking about being progressive. That's true, Annie. Well, it's not it, it, true. it is, because it's been announced this week. So, But I think for me, it's like I want to support those who are most vulnerable in, this society, in our well. society. And this is the place we can do it. That's why I get involved in politics. That's the things I want to do and the things I want to see happen for the people of Scotland. So that's where it is at the moment. What are your thoughts? Uh, we've been talking about, has Holyrood been a success? Um, we've also asked the question, has it made Scotland uh, wealthier? And do we think of the Scottish Parliament in associating with uh, health legislation, um, smoking ban, alcohol pricing, uh, getting money back on your, your lemonade bottles and things like that? You know, is that what we, we think of uh, now looking at sugar and obesity taxes? What do you think? The number remains the same. Oh, treble three twenty twenty four oh one. We're back to Holyrood in a moment. Welcome back. This is Scotland's Talking in the, the last section here from the Scottish Parliament. Uh, we're just opening up with this, going to the audience first of all. Yes, sir, what would you like to say? I, I live on my own and I'm having difficulty getting staff to support me. And I'm wondering why that is. OK, staff to support you in general, you mean, in, in your at uh, home? Uh, in my own house, Ali, yes. Right, OK. Uh, can we come back to that in a second? Sorry, yes? Yeah, um, my name is Craig, I support Donald. It's my right. privilege to, to work with Donald and support him. Um, I would say that, you know, we definitely obviously agree with the principle of um, free personal care and, and we certainly think um, that we're proud, Donald, eh, to have a Scottish Parliament. And to, but unfortunately, our... I personally think that the picture you've been painting is a bit through uh, rose-tinted glasses because um, our experience is that there is just no money and no staff and the standard of, of um, social care and generally um, in, in health as well with, with the elderly and dementia is, is just way below par. I mean, <clears throat> I know personally, as, as a support worker, 
that abuses are happening on a daily basis as a result of a lack of money in the system and a lack of, of staff. I would like to think that having a Scottish Parliament, we could maybe resolve these, these real issues. And for someone like Donald and Donald's position, even something that seems a bit trivial, like the state of the roads, for example, is an embarrassment to the country, the state of our roads. When I lived in Edinburgh, 25 years I was going to have to wait to access social housing. And so for, for the Scottish Parliament to have been, you know, up and running for 20 years, as a, an individual citizen, like, we, we feel that we're just not coming up to, to standard. It's not happening. Okay, thank you for that. Can I come to this gentleman here as well for your point, please? Hi, um, my name's David King. I'm a student uh, back at Glasgow. And uh, when you're talking about the wealth, um, I feel like, well, I was 13 when the Scottish Parliament was, was, uh, was brought into being. And um, I felt so much proud, pride about that. Um, it took me a long time until a couple of years ago when I was just turned 30 to go back to college because I knew what I wanted to do with mm. my life. And the amount of people that I've came across within the education system, the further education system, that, that need, desperately need help with mental health issues, um, that come across, that they, they can't get access to it. Mm -hmm. And also the burden of the financial needs of these people as well. If you go to college or university as a, as a, as a mature student, you're having to support yourself. And I'd, I'd done some sums that from 2010, the, 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 the amount, I know we don't pay tuition fees, but the amount that students get from SAS has not kept up with the rate of inflation. And so this kind of stereotype of students having to go out, you know, they, they go out and they just party and they don't really, no, huh? you know, it, that's not true. And there's a lot of people in the education system, the further education system, that really do struggle and it, it really is hitting them hard. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why social mobility has kind of stopped as well. I was just wondering what you think that Scotland could do with their powers to, to alleviate this from a student's point of view. I think we'll first of all start with the point that Donald was making about free personal care and yeah. it's not working like it should in his, certainly in his case who would like to start us? Well, I'd, I'd like to know uh, just if you would um, let me know uh, which area you're from because I think that's an issue for your MSP to take up there may be general issues, but there's an individual issues here as well, specific to you, Donald, so that I can then pass it on, not only to the MSPs in your area, but also to the Cabinet Secretary. So if you let me know, I've not got any cards, I never remember bringing cards with me, but if you let me know at the end, I'll get your details down. So the specifics, absolutely, um, you know, everybody's entitled to, to, ha to have mobility and have a good life and so on. So if you've got issues about that, I want to, I would like to know about it. I'll let others come in there, but I wanted to, to know that, get the details from Henry, you, please. Donald, what I would say is this, that I, I just finished um, doing some work for Alzheimer's Society Scotland, um, and we were looking at the question of advanced dementia in Scotland and the, the social support. And what we came up with was the most frightening <coughs> picture of financial provision in Scotland for support services. Every council, 32 of them, have a different system of assessment and a different way of doing things. If you add then on all the residential care homes, 
all the other facilities, throw in the health mix, what Scotland is experiencing now is a jungle of support for some of the most vital support services that we have, and that mustn't continue. But the second point, I think, is the, the, the advice being given here is to make sure that that issue that you've yeah. brought up is investigated by, by colleagues. But I think the, the third point is that we've talked about principles, and I think the audience are quite right to be slightly sceptical at times because principles are high in Scotland in terms of education and health. That is my belief that they should be universal and both should be free at the point of need. Yeah. But in implementing that, you do need resources. And I'm not an apologist for the Parliament. I'm not in the Parliament just now. But a great deal of work has been done against the odds. But there are big areas in terms of having an integrated health and social care system, mm. an integrated education system. That's the problem in further education. And we don't quite have that. Part of it's organisational, part of it's conflict between health and local government. But a big complementary issue is the fact that in austere times, and it's important to remind all of Scotland, we're living in austerity, yeah. those resources are still not available. So the, the, the Parliament is willing, but the resources, I'm afraid, are still lacking in terms of what we want to do. Just before we, we wrap up, maybe a response for, for David as well in terms of <clears throat> uh, student support and support for, for mental health services generally, because I know that's been a, a, a big case for the Scottish Parliament. Certainly in this latest term, has been mental health support and it's something that all parties certainly have sent out messages about. First of all, I'm glad that we don't have tuition fees in Scotland. It's 9,000 a year for students in, in the south. Mental health, huge issue. In a way, it's a, sign, a good sign that there's more demand because when I was in 20 years ago, um, there were people for, who spoke about mental health as a stigma, and it's one in four of people in society that are, that are affected by whatever, and probably more. So that's a good thing, the increase in demands not to be seen as something negative. And, and I have to say, with Claire Hockey now as the minister who was a mental health nurse, she knows what she's talking about, she knows, and she's trying to change things. And I can't give the specifics. The lady asked about the funding. I'll try to find out about how the funding's split. Don't know about that. It's not my area, but I, th I think we have a lot to do there, especially with early intervention before folk get to the stage at college or university, or indeed at school or even primary school, where they're in a, getting into a state about the pressures upon them. And I think that's the way she'll be working. She has to firefight a bit. She has to deal with folk who need help now. But I think we have to look early on down the line so that people are helped much earlier before it becomes a real problem for them. And that's the point. I advocate, I, we would advocate, having a mental health specialist in every GP surgery. There isn't at the moment. There isn't. So when you go to see the GP about a physical problem, you're going to get help. If you go to see the GP about a mental health problem, there's no specialist there at all. And Certainly in the Liberal Democrats, we are, we've advocated that we actually... It'll cost money, and this comes back to the resources that Henry was talking about and willingness to do it, but in the short term, it's going to cost to do that. But in the long term, it will be cost-efficient and helpful to everybody's health if we equate mental health and physical health together. Just finally on this one, Annie, I know we've had many a conversation about mental health services yeah, in Scotland as well. Absolutely, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, my son's 25, he's about to embark on further education. He's decided what he wants to do now at 25. But mental health in universities and colleges and schools, and we, we hear that there's going to be 350 counsellors, 250 mental health nurses. Yeah, I welcome that, but that's when we're at a crisis point. We need to look at when we, we don't need counsellors in schools. So we need to look at real, real early intervention. And we need to look at, as, as Mike says, 
having a mental health expert in any at 24 7 365 days a year we need to look at making sure we use social prescribing a lot better because we've got organizations and charities out there that can support people it might not always be clinical needs that they have so i think social prescribing but we talk about link workers getting into gp practices we should have 250 by the end of 2021 we've got 56 at the moment I don't know how we're going to recruit all of these mental health professionals with the other 800 mental health professionals we're talking about. Yes, I want to see it happen, but let's stop talking about it and let's just go on and do it and, and help support people. Annie Wells, thank you. Just looking at the some of the comments that are coming in, here's another one. I agree with the point raised about who's in charge of our NHS. There is no way to appeal these decisions, even if they've been contentious and have been conducted inappropriately. Currently, the only appeal process is by bringing a judicial review, and the cost of this is prohibited to the vast majority of people. To respect democracy, we need a free appeal process prior to a judicial review, as health board can currently do what they like and that comes from Anne and thank you very much indeed for your comments we'll be back to Holyrood for a quick summary of, of what we've been saying this morning right after this You're listening to Scotland's Talkin' the podcast Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin' And time to wind up our programme, our very special Scotland's Talking today from Holyrood, the Scottish Parliament and its 20th anniversary. And to sum up, I'd like to cross first of all to Dr Murray Leith, University of West of Scotland. Murray, do you think the Scottish Parliament has been a success? I don't think it's been a negative. Um, I mean, uh, let me stress, I, couldn't be a, I wouldn't be a politician for triple what we're paying our current politicians. It's a job I would not relish and would not personally seek. It's a hard job. I, I, I research and investigate this area. But at the same time, if, if I was grading the Scottish Parliament, it wouldn't necessarily be the grade that the colleagues on the panel would like to hear. There are elements where it could clearly be doing better. And it, many of the things we've spoken about today, whether it's free personal care for the elderly and, and no tuition fees. These are not hugely redistributive measures. These are not necessarily helping the poorer members of society. These are, are, are certainly helping members of the middle class uh, to a greater extent. And some of the founding principles, of course, and Henry MacLeish knows this better than I, he was there at the very beginning. Um, I, was, I was, like many Scots, abroad at the time and witnessing this from afar. But the, some of the founding principles of the Scottish Parliament, we haven't necessarily lived up to those. The idea of power sharing between the people and the institutions of society and the Parliament. The idea of accountability, Parliament holding uh, the government accountable and the people holding Parliament accountable. We haven't reached some of those high ideals that, that we set ourselves as a nation. And I think that sometimes... At 20 years, it's a good time to go back, examine those principles and think about how we can try and reach those. OK, let's just go back to, to the panel for a, a quick last point. Mike Grumbles, where do we go next for the next 20 years? There's, there's lots to do. I keep making the point that we have the parliament and we have a government. Parliament sets the scene. Parliament gives the government the ability to govern. Uh, parliament can do lots of things. But it's the end of the day is whether the government actually does what it wants to do. You're shaking your head, but that's that's the fact. Henry Henry McLeish, you said a few moments ago, um, I'm not in the Parliament at the moment. Would you like to go back? <laughs> hey, I'm enjoying. <laughs> I have I have two issues I deal with in life. One is politics, and the other one is even more taxing: Scottish football. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and if I just say Kazakhstan, <laughs> and then quickly move on, I, I think I think the I, I think the idea is that look, there are criticisms that can be made, but see, I come back to the context of 20 years. Mm. It's a small period in the life of a new parliament that did genuinely try to set off on a new footing. And I believe in terms of the committee system and the ways that we're elected and the way that tribalism is starting to reemerge, there's a whole bunch of issues that we can legitimately tackle because it's not perfect. But I have to tell you, I did my maiden speech when I went to Westminster in 87 and I spoke on local government and I was given 10 minutes to speak at 1.30 a.m. in the morning with the presiding officer, deputy, government manager, opposition manager. And, you know, just in legislative terms, we've done so much good for many of Scotland's big problems. And you're right. But you saw the good thing about an audience like this is you want more for Scotland. And hey, what? That's what the parliamentarians want as well. Subject to some of the constraints and resources, let's be progressive and let's continue to build on the good work that's being done. I think we could. And as far as the colleagues are concerned here, they're still doing, in my view, a very difficult job, but doing it particularly well. Can, can I just go they, to... They are open, uh, wide open from many perspectives. But I think the important point is this. You quite rightly today expressed your views. Hey, this is what democracy is about. Hang on a minute. But the point is, this is a good start for the parliament. Nobody on this platform is saying we've solved all the problems. But on the other hand, you will have a chance in the future to decide upon whether it's more of the same, whether it's status quo, whether it's federalism, whether it's independence. And the debate now is from here in this audience to where we get to. That's good for democracy and it's good for Scots. And it's good for you as well. Right. We're, we're just at the last few moments. Um, let me just go to Christine Graham. And Christine, as Deputy Presiding Officer, can I say, keep it brief? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so much that's been raised is absolutely right to be raised about the housing and about care and everything else. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm in my 70s and I remember, I'll, I'll now confess, I remember austerity after the Second World War when we did have housing built, we did have the health service established and I got to university from a yeah, working class background, five children, dad working, not getting a lot of money. Things have actually in some ways gone back the way over the whole of the UK. Um, it is a big chunks to do with austerity. You mustn't forget that, that budgets, that's what it all comes down to, the money. Where can we get the money from to do these things? Just a wee minute, just a wee minute. And that's true of the UK, as well as local authorities, as well as the Scottish Parliament doing stuff. Because to take the money to build the houses, we might have to take the money out of the health budget. And of the health budget, nearly 90% of it's fixed, paying the wages and the hospitals and the ambulances and the medicines. So no a lot of money to move around. And we have to really, at some point, bite the bullet as, as a community and say, we have to think about taxation, increasing taxation for those who can, to pay for those who can't. That's a hard thing to do. It's no, certainly not taxing the poor. It's taxing the rich. And that is the way you have a fairer society. It's not popular, but it's the only way we can go. Okay. Annie, last moment, I will be. I will be very brief. I mean, we've, we've got a generation out there now who, who only know Scotland with the Scottish Parliament. I would like to see them getting their voice and actually coming into this Parliament and 
applying themselves to be MSPs and putting themselves forward. We need to listen to the younger generation. We need to listen to the people of Scotland. That's the only way we can make Scotland better, is to listen to the people of Scotland, and that's what I will provide to do. Thank you very much indeed. Sorry for the hackling at the back. Mm -hmm. uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming along today and taking part in this. The programme, as I say, will be uh, on air tomorrow between 10 and 12. Could you show a round of applause, and please? Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. So there we are. That's uh, what happened at Holyrood yesterday. Thank you very much indeed to my guests. It's interesting watching some of the comments coming through on social media, which unfortunately uh, we, we you know, haven't had as much time as I thought we would do to, to get to your calls and to the comments. But quite a few comments talking about the plastic uh, bottles, the lemonade bottles things that was raised and uh, thinking this is a wrong move. So it's obviously one that we've got to uh, have a look at another week and maybe next week. Uh, one coming in, the cross-party groups in our Scottish Parliament and public petitions uh, process allow every individual in Scotland the opportunity to engage with our Scottish Parliament and to try and get our voice and views heard. Unless we use these opportunities and try to engage with the Parliament and our MSPs and all make an effort to vote at every election, then we cannot really complain that democracy is not being totally effective. And thank you for this. Uh, we hope that by being doing this, uh, doing this rather different programme for us, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it. We've um, asked various questions in the main, do you think it's a success? The people on the panel certainly did. And uh, my thanks to the panel as well. Once again, Henry McLeish, uh, the First Minister from 2000 to 2001. Christine Graham, Deputy Presiding Officer and an MSP since day one. Annie Wells, um, of course, Tory MP from Springburn, and Mike Grumbles from the Liberal Democrats, who was part of the 1999 Intech and then came back again in 2016. My also my thanks to the technical team and also to Alan Smith, our political correspondent, to Rob Waller and to Duncan Levin and everybody else involved.